This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we're going to answer all of your health questions today. My name is Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be here with you uh, as we come up on the Christmas holiday. Uh, we're live today. This is not a taped program, so I want to give you the phone numbers here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. Since last chatting with all of you last Saturday, I've had an exciting week. I left for Haiti last Sunday and spent the week there with my friend, Father Rick Frechette. As many of you know, Father Frechette is a Catholic priest. He is a passionist father who has been living in Haiti for 31 years. Uh, he's also a physician. He went to medical school in the 1990s at the request of his order to provide care for the Haitian people. And he has two hospitals there. There's a pediatric hospital, St. Damien, and an adult hospital, St. Luke. So it's always been my pleasure and honor to be able to go down there and work with him and alongside the many physicians who now work there, uh, Haitian physicians. Uh, this trip was especially good because I got to bring some equipment down from the Cadwell company. Uh, Cadwell makes electrodiagnostic equipment, looking at nerve conduction studies and EMG. And it's a technology we did not have available. They were kind enough to donate a machine that I was able to bring down and spend time with the physicians uh, going over how to use that. Uh, the key item for us is uh, we see patients present with a paralytic illness called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, essentially, it is a situation where someone gets a virus or flu-like event and suddenly they reprogram their immune system to attack the nerves and it attacks the, insula, the insulation around the nerve called the myelin. And in doing so, uh, causes what we call a demyelinating neuropathy. Now, the key item here is to decide who has the condition so that you can initiate treatment. Treatment's not available in Haiti, uh, but there's a drug called IVIG that can be purchased in the United States. And... Uh, thanks to the cooperation of some institutions here, we're able to get the medication. And when I say expensive, uh, we're talking anywhere between five and $10,000 per treatment. And it's a one-time treatment. Uh, the last time w we used it was in February of this year. Uh, my son-in-law, Mike, was able to bring it down. And I got to meet the young man who at that time was paralyzed from the neck down. Um, he could speak. He could eat, uh, but he could not move any limb, couldn't even move his shoulders. And uh, this young man came to the clinic, and I got to see him. Uh, I got to see him walk unassisted. Uh, is he back to normal yet? No. Uh, but considering how devastating this illness was, uh, it was just a tremendous recovery uh, for which he is uh, eternally grateful uh, for doing so. So it was uh, a phenomenal trip. 
Um, some of the things you worry about, though, when you're a volunteer, we've had five volunteers now who have had mosquito bites and contracted dengue fever. Uh, dengue is a mosquito-borne virus uh, that causes a malaria-like illness, except it's often accompanied by hemorrhagic changes, uh, meaning you start to bleed from your gums and nose, uh, can develop uh, spleen problems. Rarely it will cause renal failure and death. So we've had five volunteers, uh, three of whom were from the United States, who had to spend a week in a hospital. Uh, one of them was a surgeon from the Mayo Clinic uh, who was just released from the hospital. So uh, when you go to a place like this, you really have to take so many precautions. And even taking the most precautions possible, it's not necessarily enough. So you really cover yourself with DEET or whatever it is to avoid uh, mosquito bites. So on today's show, uh, we have an interview that I did with uh, Father Rick Frechette talking a little bit about the status of Haiti in general, since a lot of our listeners are so attuned to that and what's going on there. We're going to get a call from Dr. Sayed Hussein. Dr. Hussein is the chief medical officer for Trinity Health New England. And as you know, they're running the 61-day challenge to get us all into better health. And this is day 52. So we're going to get an update from him. Uh, I've heard they have about 3,000 people have now signed up and are involved in that program. He was on our program back in early November. So we really want to catch up with him. Uh, this day in medicine, December 22nd, 1872. Uh, two uh, remarkable things. The biggest one is uh, Dr. Camille Guerin was born. Dr. Guerin was a French physician who, along with Dr. Albert Calmet, founded the vaccine for tuberculosis, the BCG vaccine, Bacillus Calmette Guerin. And it's something, it's still used. I mean, this vaccine is still used. Uh, mostly in Europe is where you see it used, especially in countries where there's high exposure. So we don't use it in the United States as a vaccine because. We have adequate sanitation. We have adequate systems in place for identifying tuberculosis, and it's not been a big problem. It is helpful for healthcare workers who are going to be around highly exposed uh, folks. So, again, very important that this vaccine, really from someone who was born in 1872, is something we're still using today and is still very effective. While in Haiti, I got to work with the Sisters of Charity. Those are Mother Teresa's sisters who provide care in their outreach in the poorest areas of the world. And again, they routinely have to screen people for tuberculosis and come up with cases of tuberculosis. Also on this day, Dr. William Hyde Wollaston passed away in 1828. Dr. Wollaston was the doctor who identified renal calculi as being a mixture of calcium phosphate, magnesium, ammonium phosphate. He was a crystallographer. His job was studying crystals. So it only made sense that he would also study kidney stones. And in doing so, by studying the stones, was able to help us really come up with ideas on how to uh, avoid uh, kidney stones and changes in diet that are so important uh, for avoiding kidney stones. So that is uh, Dr. William Hyde Wollaston. Um, 
Looking at uh, things in the news, one of the biggest studies was published last week in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it was a Swedish study that looked at the best treatments for prostate cancer. And uh, in this article itself, it was uh, very interesting because the study began in 1989. And one of our big problems has been, what's the right thing to do? There are two paths to follow, radical prostatectomy, taking out the entire prostate, or watchful waiting to see what happens with the cancer and how it evolves. So in this study, uh, really looking out over so many years in a large group of men, concluded that a radical operation improved the lives of survivors by 2.9 years if they had extracapsular invasion. So if the cancer got beyond the capsule of the prostate, it would benefit having a radical prostatectomy. If it had not, patients did well with watchful waiting, diet control, and things such as that. So this is an important study because it's been ongoing for 29 years and really has good data for us to look at in the people who have been randomized. So again, people entered the study not knowing what their treatment they were going to get. Some got surgery, others did not, and we've looked at the results, and they're going to continue to follow those people uh, as they have for the past 30 years. Next up, Dr. Sayed Hussein was going to be my guest um, by telephone. We're going to chat a little bit about the 61-day challenge for Trinity Health New England. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And next up, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Sayed Hussein. Uh, Dr. Hussein is the Chief Medical Officer for Trinity Health New England and initiated the New England 61 Day Challenge. And it's been a very interesting process. And uh, Dr. Hussein, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Alessi. I'm, I'm honored to be back on your show. Well, for those of our listeners who are not familiar and weren't listening when you were on uh, last month, can you bring everybody up to speed on what the New England 61-Day Challenge has been? Absolutely. So this is a health initiative uh, intended to engage colleagues and community put on by Trinity Health of New England. And basically, in a nutshell, the challenge is no soda, no sweets, no cigarettes, for 61 days, from November 1st to December 31st. And what the challenge is not about is it's not a weight loss challenge. It's not about denying anything or making ourselves miserable, especially during the holiday period. It's about embracing better health in all aspects of our lives. So that includes what we eat, it includes how we manage stress, it includes how we exercise on a daily basis, and how we incorporate healthy habits into our daily lives. It's been interesting, to say the least. I took the pledge after the program in November, and I've been following today's day 52. It's Snacking Saturday. Um, Can you tell people a little bit about really these updates we've been getting uh, by email? Uh, Because it's, it's been instructive and very helpful even for folks like myself who have not been able to come to meetings and the sessions you've been holding. 
Absolutely. The response we've received, Dr. Alessi, has been overwhelming. Um, as you may know, since you've signed up for the pledge, uh, there are daily emails. We've pushed out over 100,000 daily emails offering health tips and new ideas to improve daily um, health habits. And it's, you know, there's some things, small things that people take for granted or wouldn't understand or think, oh, this is an aha moment for me. If I do this, it leads to this. So, um, and once you start incorporating those, the, the goal here is that not only will it be for these two months, but hopefully a healthier new year and a healthier 2019 and beyond. Did this uh, exceed your expectations in the sense of uh, 3,000 people taking the pledge uh, is quite a big number. I mean, even if half of them took it seriously, that's that's got some impact to it. Is that more than you expected? Absolutely. It's been, it's been a phenomenal response. We didn't expect a response of 3,014 people, to be precise, who have taken the pledge, over 40 schools, churches, businesses, and community organizations partnered with Trinity Health of New England in this, uh, in this challenge. And given by what we've seen in other places around the country, it's just going to build on. It's when we, we've already started working on our next year's uh, uh, challenge, but there'll be, you know, there'll be a buzz. There'll be folks out there who already... Uh, know about the challenge, will act as our ambassador. So it uh, keeps building on. And as you know, in our country, obesity um, is such a national uh, problem. So, and and for our listeners not familiar with Trinity Health New England, uh, it includes St. Mary's Hospital, Mercy Hospital, St. Francis uh, Hospital and Medical Center, uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, Am I missing anyone? Uh, Johnson Memorial Hospital in Stafford Springs. Okay. So among the hospitals, has there been uh, any friendly competition to see who had more people sign up? Yes, there has been. Okay. Uh, we, we have had um, within our ministries challenges as well. And then um, the, the uh, competition has also, in order to make sure that folks are engaged, we've had weekly prizes as well. How about the sessions, the the in-person sessions that you've held? Have they been uh, well attended? They have been. We've had more than 50 educational classes and sessions um, on to educate the public on healthy eating, how to read food labels, how to quit smoking, teaching mindfulness, emphasizing the power of movement, physical activity, etc. Okay, so I have to ask the question. You already alluded to next year's challenge, but... What else do you have planned? I mean, this is, you've started the ball rolling. Um, obviously, you're someone who looks toward prevention and better health in general. I'm sure you have something up your sleeve between now and next year. Sure. So we will continue all across Trinity Health of New England, educational sessions, um, preventive information to the community, and we'll continue to engage our community. It, it won't be okay there's silence now until November 1st, 2019. So we will continue. Uh, we will build on the momentum that we've gained uh, from this challenge. In our community, what do you think the biggest threat is uh, of the things you've seen, the health challenges facing us? Is it is it obesity? Is it smoking? Uh, is it uh, people not being aware of how to take their medication, affording medication? What, what do you think our biggest challenge is uh, in our listening area? 
Absolutely. It's all of the above, Dr. Alessi. It's, it's healthier eating that we need to promote. It's uh, preventive measures that we can take. It's smoking cessation um, and having an active lifestyle that would prevent some of these chronic medical conditions, in addition to what you described, yeah, more awareness about medications you take, et cetera. I'm going to put you on the spot. If there are one thing somebody could do who's listening to this program now to change their life, everybody's thinking, right, they're, they're going to have a New Year's resolution. If they had to pick one thing that they could get the most benefit of, what would that be from your standpoint? Uh, okay, great question. Um, healthier eating. That's it. That in, Healthier eating, I say that because it encompasses a whole bunch of things. It includes no soda, cutting down on pop, uh, cutting down on your sugary um, intake, and and supplementing it with, with healthier options, fruits, vegetables, etc. So I would say healthy eating. Uh, you know, what's interesting is you, you say right out, this is not a diet competition. It's not a weight loss challenge. But I have to tell you, if you if you just even reduce, forget about banning soda and sweets, uh, you're going to lose weight. Um, and, and I found that actually uh, personally, uh, just by being mindful of those things and reducing them or not using them in a situation I might have, uh, it's clearly made a difference, uh, even in just 61 days. So I, I think, you know, the point you've made has been, uh, tremendous, uh, from that standpoint, uh, Will you still be able to track the people who have taken the pledge in some way, shape, or form? I mean, uh, I'm sure you're thinking about this in terms of, okay, what have we learned from looking at the 3,014 people? Absolutely. That's a great point, and we will. Uh, and there's information, that data that we've collected that we would like to uh, analyze to see you know, how much of an impact this has made. Um, I, I can't thank you enough uh, because on this program, we are about prevention as much as we can and keeping everybody in our community healthy. Um, there's so much talked about on how expensive health care is. Uh, well, it gets less expensive if you take care of yourself. So I want to invite you on any time. Dr. Hussein, just let me know. Uh, shoot me an email uh, with your next project because this has been a real success and something so positive for our area um, that we want to keep the ball rolling here. Thank you, Dr. Alessi, and thank you for taking the pledge. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, and thanks for helping me lose a few pounds. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Saeed Hussein. Dr. Hussein is the Chief Medical Officer and Senior Vice President for Trinity Health of New England. And uh, they encompass and care for so many people in our area. Uh, this program has been tremendous and something we at Healthy Rounds really like to be a part of. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back. I'm going to chat a little bit with you all. And then we're going to hear from Father Rick Frechette. We're going to talk about Haiti. What has changed since the earthquake? What hasn't changed? What we, they need to do to get back on their feet? It's not about a handout. I think you'll find that it's very surprising. They're not people sticking their hand out and saying, we need you to give us something. So anyhow, with that, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Sleigh bells ring. We're back on Healthy Rounds. 
I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and uh, just wanted to chat a little bit. One of our news stories today is about Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, and the fact that she's 85 years old and has now survived cancer three times. Uh, she now has lung cancer. She had colon cancer, pancreatic cancer. And I think one of the things you want to really say, how can somebody do that at age 85? And yet she is famous or, in this case, notorious um, in terms of her relentless pursuit of good health, exercising regularly. But one of the things you have to take into consideration in her and other people is a purpose. Because you retire doesn't mean you've given up a purpose. And having a purpose in life, a reason to wake up in the morning, it could be a job. It could be caring for someone else. It could be caring for a pet. But you have to wake up with a purpose. And in her case, it is to be a Supreme Court justice and provide balance on the court. So with that it motivates you towards better health, having that purpose. And it's something to always keep in mind as we get older. We're going to be doing an interview with Father Rick Frischet. One of the things I found uh, in Haiti, one of the biggest challenges today in Haiti has been the ability to purchase high-quality medications. It's very interesting. No one's saying, give us medication or, you know, we want it for free. The problem is that the medications available there now are controlled in a large extent by organized crime. You always see organized crime. Wherever there's poverty, there's organized crime. So organized crime there is now selling medication, not narcotics. We're talking antibiotics. We're talking anti-seizure medications. And some of those medications are bootlegged. So the active ingredients are not what you would expect. So... The request now is, can we, so our particular hospital, St. Luke Hospital, it has a base in the United States. Our, our pharmacists are licensed in the United States. We have physicians who are licensed in the United States. My goal now is to find a way for us to be able to purchase our medication directly from the United States in which case we can guarantee that our patients are getting the highest quality medication. And that is going to be a goal, uh, and I'm hoping to get a lot of assistance um, from my colleagues in pharmacy and the purchasers and the hospitals involved in this because it's one way we can help by extending that ability to produce and be able to purchase those medications at a reasonable cost. So with that, uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my interview with Father Rick Frechette um, that took place in Haiti. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Today is the 20th of December, 2018, and this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. I am in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, with Father Rick Frechette and in his office at St. Damien Hospital. And, um, Father, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Father, it's uh, now we're coming up on the ninth year since the earthquake. 
and more importantly, by my calculations, you've been living here for 31, 32 years in Haiti. Um, I think we'd all like your perspective on kind of the evolution of how things have changed here in Haiti um, over your period of time that you've been here, and especially since the earthquake. <coughs> the country runs by microeconomy, people uh, making and selling individual cigarettes, people selling individual drinks of water, people making sandals out of old tires. Uh, Microeconomy plus money that comes in from Haitians abroad for their families. That's really the base of how things work here. And it's been amazing how microeconomies have been reestablished very fast after the time of the earthquake. It's as amazing as how little has been done in terms of rebuilding the country. But since the country survives on microeconomy, that's the invisible achievement that a visitor won't see. Somebody just driving through, flying through, rushing to the next place they're going. Uh, that's the real tribute to the uh, persistence and the strength and the ability of the Haitian people. Of course, microeconomy is not going to take you anywhere in life. It'll get you from today to tomorrow, uh, but it's not going to put your children in college, and it's not going to give you a home that's safe when there are protections from bandits and things like that. But, you, you know, for surviving and being able to get one, from one day to the next, that's really extraordinary. I think that the... The truth is, in 31 years that I've been here, there are just no jobs. And this is absolutely the, the problem of the country. With If people had work that was not exploitative, uh, that had advantages and came with opportunities for education and advancement, all other problems would be solved. But the problem is still the lack of work. Why is that, Father? I mean, after the earthquake, 150,000 people lost their lives. Um, the world paid attention to Haiti, yet we've not seen uh, a tremendous influx of money, and we've certainly not seen an influx of industry uh, uh, attempting, to, or attempting to work with the Haitian people. Um, these are hardworking folks here. Um, who are willing to put in a hard day's work. Why didn't that happen? There are a lot of very big questions related. Uh, for example, is it necessary for powerful countries that there be dysfunctional countries uh, in order in order in order to be able to function. And uh, uh, it, even if it's on the level of drugs and, and uh, whatnot, uh, different kind of mafia, uh, places where money can easily be laundered, places where toxic waste can easily be dumped, places where uh, 
Thomas Merton once said, there can't be a Hollywood without a Harlem. It's not possible. So this is really a big question of, in the way that the world is organized, unfortunately, is it so necessary for the world order that there be poor places in order for rich places to function well? It's, it's a good question. And if the, if the question is yes, then nothing is ever going to develop here because the factors are not here. Uh, aside from that, obviously there is will and ability of government. For example, you could put so many people to work here just restoring the ecology of the country, building retaining walls, planting trees, restoring agriculture. There, you would give so many jobs just trying to restore the ecology of this devastated place. Where are the big brains planning that? And where are the, where, where, which sources of revenue are they planning to do that? It doesn't happen. Uh, investment in education by the government is minimal. Imagine the amount of jobs you would give if the investment in education was enormous and you were employing three or four or five times as many teachers as you are now. Suppose the state invested in health care, serious investment in health care. Imagine the amount of jobs that there would be. These are important. I know all the focus is on factories, let's make baseballs, let's make napkins. I mean, most of that tends to be exploitative work, let's face it. That's just automation and you get some little bit of money and and done. But these other uh, types of activities are restorative. They're restorative of health, they're restorative of intelligence, they're restorative of the earth. And and uh, these, these things are needed. And the question is why doesn't it happen? And then the question goes also to competence and will of people who are who are in government. So I, I don't know why, Tony. I have no idea why, but the, I conjecture about these things because uh, somebody said to me once, uh, maybe it was true then, when Haiti had about 8 million people, now it has 12. Uh, we, New York City has that many people. Why can we manage New York City and why can't Haiti be managed, you know, with only 8 million people or 12 million people? I don't know the answer, I can only conjecture, but I know one thing, it's not because of lack of initiative or vision or will or hard work on the part of the Haitian person. Oh, I absolutely agree, Father. Uh, it's interesting, I think you've been judicious in saying, uh, using the word competence for leaders in Haiti, yet uh, when I ask Haitians about uh, changing things here, and they all use a word called corruption, um, and, and that's a problem in every government, I think. Um, Father, let's move a little bit more focal to where we are now, to St. Damien and the St. Luke uh, programs. Um, clearly, things are always evolving here, and from my standpoint, it, it seems to be getting better and better in terms of the services you've been able to provide the Haitian people. But can you tell our listeners some of the challenges um, that continue and some of the new challenges that uh, face the mission here? 
our newest enormous challenge is trauma. There's an organization that was doing trauma since the time of the earthquake that didn't stay or severely reduced what they were doing because it's not their mandate to permanently plant themselves in a country. They came because of the earthquake and they stayed a lot of years and they they greatly reduced their service in order to uh, plan an exit strategy. And that's not replaced by anything. And uh, because we're well known, uh, certainly in Port-au-Prince, and we don't ask for money up front, we ask people to contribute what they can at the end. In other words, your help is not dependent on whether you have money in your pocket. Then. Uh, we're we're getting a lot of these uh, terribly mauled people, uh, gunshot and horrific accidents on the streets and burns and falling off roofs and all kinds of things like that. And we have to act, and uh, with minimal beds, with uh, almost no training, with certainly no budget, uh, we have to act. It's either act or death. So we've been very fortunate to be to be getting training uh, from, especially from uh, friends at Notre Dame University, and the the uh, organizations tied to their outreach, from Mayo Clinic in Arizona, from yourself. Uh, we're getting training in, in how to deal with this. Uh, we're scrambling to find help as to how to pay the bills. But it's a tremendous challenge because the, the, the problem in the country are lack of infrastructures. And by infrastructure, I even mean other hospitals that you can refer to, even if you're going to triage cases, other hospitals that you can refer to. In this country, you're almost on your own for everything. Uh, water, electricity, security, uh, for almost everything you're on your own. So this is a huge challenge for us right now, and we're doing our best to meet it, but I can tell you it's tiring and it's tragic, uh, and it's very sad. You know, I, I don't know if our listeners can understand really that it's hard to run what has now become a trauma center without a surgeon, uh, whether it be a general surgeon or an orthopedic <coughs> surgeon, and really that's what um, you've been trying to do. Uh, right along. Yeah, it's call-in surgeons, it's call them in, but of course there are delays for that. We can't afford to keep a surgeon just sitting around on staff. We can't, absolutely, we can't afford it. But it's, it's, not, it's not just the surgeon, it's a, a, all of the medicines, the, the equipment uh, that you need, which is specialized equipment, it's, it's, uh, it's the whole ball of wax that we're, we're up against. It certainly is, Father. Father, what's what's the future from your standpoint here in Haiti? Beautiful, bright, wide open. We just have to keep working at it. Father, our, our listeners are always very generous. How can they help um, in terms of, you know, I, I always assure people that every penny you give comes right here and gets to the purpose uh, involved. And, and I know you don't like to talk about it, but... Um, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure here that has to be supported. Um, what can people do to help? 
stlukehaiti.org, S-T-L-U-K-E-H-A-I-T-I.org. If you check out our website, there are ways, very clear ways of how to support us. And, and we'll talk more about it. Father, I want to thank you. Thank you for everything you do um, for the Haitian people. And uh, thank you for being so generous to have me come here and spend a week with you. Well, thank you, Tony, and I thank your listeners. This is Dr. Anthony Alessi, um, back with you all. And as mentioned, I am in Haiti at uh, St. Damien and St. Luke hospitals. I want to thank Mike Olko, who's been on the board uh, today and with all our programs here in Healthy Rounds. Jeff Chandler, who's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. And as always, next up will be Len and Garden Talk. I want to also take this time to thank all of our listeners um, who have been faithful throughout the years. Um, I enjoy receiving all your messages and uh, phone calls on the program. I also want to take this time to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, and we'll be back next week with an additional program. This has been Dr. Anthony Alessi here in Haiti. Wishing you all a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for your support. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.